I'll now share a reading with you uh, prior to my remarks. This is a passage from the book Living Buddha, Living Christ by Thich Nhat Hanh. If you're not familiar with Thich Nhat Hanh, he is a Buddhist monk who uh, entered his uh, vocation during the Vietnam War in Vietnam, and he now facilitates a, a community outside of Paris, France, known as Plum Village. This reading is titled, Religious Life is Life. Twenty years ago at a conference I attended of theologians and professors of religion, an Indian Christian friend told the assembly, we are going to hear about the beauties of several traditions, but that does not mean we are going to make a fruit salad. When it came my turn to speak, I said, fruit salad can be delicious. I have shared the Eucharist with Father Berrigan and our worship became possible because of the sufferings we Vietnamese and Americans shared over many years. Some of the Buddhist presents were shocked to hear that I had participated in the Eucharist, and many Christians seemed truly horrified. To me, religious life is life. I do not see any reason to spend one, one's whole life tasting just one kind of fruit, we human beings can be nourished by the best values of many traditions. Professor Hans Krug has said, quote, until there is peace between religions, there can be no peace in the world. People kill because they cling too tightly to their own beliefs and ideologies. When we believe that ours is the only faith that contains the truth, violence and suffering will surely be the result. The second precept from the order of interbeing founded within the Zen Buddhist tradition during the war in Vietnam is letting go of our views. It states, quote, do not think the knowledge you presently possess is changeless, it's an, nor is it an absolute truth. Avoid being narrow-minded and bound to present views. Learn and practice non-attachment in order to be able to receive others' viewpoints. To me, this is the most essential practice of peace. I thank you for the opportunity of being able to be with you once again today. Uh, I thought back on my first time with you, which was actually two years ago, uh, and it was the same time of year. It was in the fall. So I'm very grateful. I'm not exactly sure at this point how many times I've been a guest with you, but each time has been a blessing to me, and I thank you for allowing me the opportunity to share my thoughts with you. I should preface my remarks this morning by saying that prior to last evening, when I was informed by my host, I literally, when I crafted my remarks, had no idea what was going on here as far as the changes in your community. So this is all happenstance. I did not craft it. So anything that I share with you today was not a plan on anyone's part to, for me to try to advise you on how you should move ahead. I was actually, uh, ministers will tell you this, sometimes the message you craft is for your audience and sometimes it's for yourself. And this is truly a message that I crafted more for myself than for you just to share with you because I am experiencing in my life so many changes. Uh, so uh, I actually thought this morning, I thought, well, now that I know the circumstances and your business meeting today, should I change some of my remarks? But I said, no, I will throw caution to the wind and share with you what I prepared anyway. And we were fortunate to hear 
the story for, for the children. I always enjoy the time with children because you never know exactly what they're going to say, which is one of those both-and things. It can be really... I was recently at the Unitarian uh, Fellowship of the Peninsula in Newport News, and it being October, they were discussing October events, and it came to Halloween, and one of the young girls mentioned that for Halloween she was going to be a zombie ballerina. And uh, I told her that I had uh, uh, adult male friends that would like to borrow her idea and be the same thing for Halloween. And I also advised her to copyright that because I think if Disney got a hold of that idea, that would be a whole movie for Disney. Changes in our lives can be both disturbing and welcoming. Part of the reason changes can be disturbing is because in not knowing what's going to happen with these changes... It can be unsettling to our spirits because it leaves us with the feeling that somehow we are not in control. We don't like to admit it, but we're actually creatures of habit. And if you think that you're not, uh, look where you're sitting today. If you are a member of this community or a frequent visitor, how often do you sit in approximately the same place you're sitting this morning? And imagine when you come in and someone happens to be sitting where you normally sit. How does that kind of make you feel as you think, well, now what do I do? (laughs) Think about what your mornings are like when you're preparing to go to work or to school or whatever your day employs. And think about the steps of your usual morning. So we are creatures of habit, even though we like to think we're not. Spontaneity and change can be upsetting to us because these are things we're not prepared for. I experienced this two years ago when I came back to Virginia from Boston. I had experienced it going to New England because I had never lived outside of the South, and I found myself in January in Boston (laughs) in the middle of a snowstorm trying to unpack a U-Haulet, and I hadn't even thought about how terrible the winters in New England are and uh, wasn't prepared for the climate, wasn't prepared for the city, wasn't prepared for anything, and it really, after several uh, weeks, sent me into a tailspin, and I found that the changes were so overwhelming to me, I was beginning to feel a depressed state, a downward slope in my emotions that I had to seek uh, help with because it just became too overwhelming. I wasn't even prepared for the realization that in the further northern climate, just nature itself and the vast changes between southeastern Virginia and New England would have such an effect on me. And it was the absence of daylight, which I never even thought about. And all of a sudden, the days in New England compared with southeastern Virginia are very short, and you get a small amount of daylight. And the absence of that sunlight over an extended period of time can be dilatory on the human, on the human being. And my doctors advised me to purchase these special light bulbs that are supposed to imitate sunlight. And although they were some help, it's still not exactly the same thing as the vitamin D that you receive from being in the sunshine. But I was able over time to embrace the changes that I was encountering, having lived most of my life in the South, Virginia and North Carolina mostly, and adapt to the changes that I was encountering in New England. And part of that help that I received were communities of faith, because my being a minister, I was able to reach out to other communities of faith in the New England area, and specifically, as you all are well aware, uh, it being the home of your denomination, I had so many friends who were UU clergy or associated with the UU or worked at your headquarters, 
and being welcomed in to share with them and their time was helping me to find a place to fit in in New England. So it was just the opposite when I came back to Virginia. I went from being seven and a plus years in New England where I had to learn to adapt to all the different changes, the the climate, the way of living. I lived for seven years in New England without owning a car. Everywhere I went in New England for seven years, I could get there on a bus, a subway, a train. Once in a while, I had to take a taxi. I didn't pay car insurance. I didn't buy gas. I didn't have tires. The public transportation system is extensive. I could travel throughout all New England and not need a car. I could get all the way to New York City on a train. Didn't have a car. And I came to Virginia, and I can't even get to the grocery store without a car. (laughs) The public transportation system in most of the South is just in comparison, non-existent. I had to readapt, almost having to remember how to, I thought, I haven't driven in seven years. It's a good thing my license is still valid because I've got to learn to do this all over again. I had to reclimatize myself to the weather changes. I had a wardrobe for New England that doesn't work in southeastern Virginia, even in the coldest part of the winter. I had to reclimatize myself not only to the climate changes and between New England and southeastern Virginia, I had to reclimatize myself to society. We like to think that human beings are human beings no matter where they're located. Unfortunately, it's just not the case. I had a freedom that I experienced in New England that I had never had before outside of my being there. I thought I knew what freedom was living in the South until I got to New England. My very first experience when I got off the plane and got on the subway heading towards Harvard Square, on the subway there were a couple of same-gender couples who were holding hands publicly on the subway. And the thing that astounded me was not so much that they were doing this publicly, was that no one cared. It wasn't even an issue. It wasn't even, it wasn't even thought of. It was just a non-happening. And I noticed these packed subway trains and people are reading their paper and it means nothing. And then we come back, I came back to the South seven plus years later and um, violence towards same gender loving people and communities I worked with as allies in New England were non-existent here. I worked with minority communities as great allies in New England who had very specific thoughts and goals and we were able to work together as allies and I approached similar communities in Virginia and North Carolina to be told that I was a racist and I was absolutely shocked because their hatred of same gender loving people was such that they would rather ally themselves with hate groups who hate them as opposed to being allied with me. And that was, I, I was stunned. I was stunned. And I explained, I said, I'm not in any way trying to equate my experience with anyone else's. I'm just trying to find allied communities of similar interest to be told your interests are not our interests. Not at all. Because it's very different between New England and the South. And that's difficult for us to wrap our minds around. It's difficult, but we're human beings. Yes, we are, but society impacts us, and changes impact us, and our culture impacts us. And it's difficult to translate that to different parts of the country. 
It was difficult going from working openly and being invited to the Massachusetts State House to work on issues of importance to society and to be told when I went to Richmond to try to do the same thing that I wasn't welcome there. And I had people who were members of the Virginia General Assembly, people who were voted into office by a majority of the people who were voting, who actually told me that their religious beliefs supersede the state constitution of Virginia or the federal constitution. And they're sitting as members in the Virginia General, and I'm just stunned. And I, but you took an oath when you took your seat that you were supposed to. So how do I, how do I adjust to this? Now I'm at a point in my life that it's just the opposite. After being here for two years, and part of the reason why I came back to Virginia, I may have shared this with you at one of the times I was with you in the past, is that um, my parents were at the point that they needed help. They needed help with their home, their yard, their health issues. And after two years of being with them, their health has improved, their circumstances are better. And I have recently been in communication with my denomination about the prospect of returning to full-time parish ministry. And the only thing that I was told after in discussions with them was that when we contact you, you will have about a six-month window of opportunity to get all of your affairs in order because at that point you'll be needing to move somewhere. Now, we don't know where that somewhere will be, but you've got to pack up and move somewhere. And I don't know how it is in the UU when it comes time for ministerial changes, but I do know from my experience in ministry that in my community of faith, which is more Christian-centric, deliberately so, as opposed to the UU community tradition, um, changes in ministers have an effect and an impact on the congregation that usually means some faces leave and new faces come. There's always a change. Um, some people have a history of being upset because they may or may not have supported the particular candidate who was elected by the, by the congregation and upset to the point that they leave. And in working with other congregations in the past, I've told them that when the new faces behind this pulpit look around you instead of looking up here because what you see here sitting next is going to change. What you see are the people around you. Some people will leave. Some people will stay. New faces will come. It will be changed. That's very difficult for us. We like our community as it is. We don't want it to change. We like our friends with us. We don't want them to leave. We want to hold on to what's right now without being changed. Unfortunately, that's not life. Unfortunately, we're, we don't get that option. Even if we lock ourselves in a room and remove ourselves from society, outside our room, outside our locked door, the world changes with or without us. We can either try to adapt to those changes we can either try to find a way to maneuver through them. That's why I have a great deal of respect for my Jewish friends, because when you look at their history, they're being finding ways to navigate through the changes in society and culture, but yet still hold on to their traditions. To me, is astounding. I always imagine that it's a shame that uh, Christian-centric faiths don't look towards Judaism to find ways of adapting because we've seen so much, especially since the advent of marriage equality, of pushback by conservative religious groups 
about that we don't want to be part of this. We're retreating back into our safety. Well, I'm sorry, but the world has changed. I'm sorry that you're not choosing to be part of that. I'm sorry you're not choosing to embrace and welcome it. You are deciding to retreat behind closed doors. I don't know what my future holds. I do know that at this point, I am a different minister than I was two years ago. And I hope that I'm, knock on wood, better minister for the experience. And part of the reason why I feel that way is because I have had the blessing, and I use that term quite literally, of being invited to be a speaker so many times with UU churches in Virginia and North Carolina over the past two years. Um, my more Christian-centric friends often shake their heads, and I often, I've shared this with Ricky and Marco last night when we were having dinner, one of the questions, how do you preach to Unitarians because they don't believe in Jesus? How do you tell them? And as I've explained, my experience has been that that's not the point. My ministry is not a ministry of proselytizing. Whether it's here, whether it's an invitation to a UCC church or an invitation to my own denomination to speak, my ministry is a ministry of presence and helping you on your path and perhaps something I share with you will resonate with your experience, both personally as a community, and you can take it with you beyond this point. That's my hope. But I'm never called to proselytize anyone. I chose my faith for specific reasons. I don't see my faith as being better than anyone else's or having absolute answers as opposed to anyone else's. And part of the reason for my coming to that realization has been my ability to be a guest with so many UU congregations. Because when I'm invited, I actually want to be invited back. And I want to be a good guest when I'm with you. And part of my way of thinking is being a good guest is I want to encourage you in your tradition, not in mine. And part of the process for me has been especially you may be aware that the Unitarian Church in Norfolk has been without a minister for the past year. They lost their minister under tragic circumstances. But I live about 20 minutes from the church. And for the past year, when something has come up ministerial that they don't have access to, they've called on me, and I'm honored that they have. And I've done weddings and funerals and memorial services and special occasions. And I had to learn how to do these things. I had to learn when a couple approached me and told me they wanted a humanist wedding what a humanist wedding was. I had to, I had to find out, what, what are you asking me to do? Well, I, I'm glad that I was asked to do that because their wedding is not a reflection of my beliefs but a reflection of their beliefs and what they want to announce to the world. This is who we plan on making our lives as a couple, not who I am. I had to figure out when I was approached and asked to do a memorial service for an individual who self-identified as a Wiccan what, what does that involve? What, what, what do I, where do I even begin? So my experience of being able to be a guest with UU congregations has made me work harder at finding a way to be not only a good guest, but expanding my horizons and my way of thinking as far as faith and community and non-faith and where those answers and where people search for answers. So I welcome the fact that for the past two years I've been allowed the privilege of working closely with UU congregations because my time for the past two years has been one of intentional discernment. It was never discernment 
do I want to remain in ministry? That was never the question. But what does my ministry want to look like? And the UU churches in Virginia and North Carolina have helped me answer that question. You've helped me by making me work for ways to express myself and my thoughts that I would not have embraced previously because I had actually, in my own way of thinking, had become somewhat of a lazy minister because in my Christian-centric tradition, it was very easy for me to craft a message based on a Bible verse or a quote from a particular theologian that people actually kind of knew and would, would resonate with them. Well, I can't really do that when I'm a guest with the UU congregation. I've got to find a way to craft my message that is more inclusive and more open for a wider range of beliefs and thoughts than when I'm with a more Christian-centric tradition. And as I said, I don't share that with you saying that one is better than the other. They're just different, as life is different. The changes I've been through in the past year as a minister, I often kind of scratch my head and wonder when I end up in a church in my own denomination, are they going to look at me and say, what is with this guy? <laughs> Where did he come from? But I think that's a good thing. Because in the same way, wherever I end up in parish ministry, I want to encourage them in their paths and help them discover answers, not me feed them answers. Because my answers may not be theirs. My answers may sound right, may sound good, but they may not be what they need for their lives. And I hope that my experience of the past two years will help craft me into being a better pastor for wherever I end up. Thank you.